Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You are locked on Nick's. Your daily podcast on the New York Knicks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Yeah. Uh, my city and wide. Yeah, let me take my time. I'm on my grind. Gotta make sure that we shine. What's yours is mine. And what's mine is yours. HR to the death and first always my team for sure. Can't fall off. Gotta family support. Gotta make sure. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Knicks podcast. This is episode 49. I am your host, Jared Dubin. I'm talking to you the day after the Knicks season opener in which they were blown out by the Cleveland Cavaliers, 117-88. The Knicks were able to keep the game close through the first half, as you know, but the Cavs ran away with it in the second They won the third quarter by 15 points and the fourth quarter by 11 points. I've got a podcast coming for you here today with Chris Manning, the host of Locked On Cavaliers, where we break down a bunch of the big stuff that we noticed throughout the game for the Knicks and the Cavs. Talked a little bit about Derrick Rose, Chris Stapps Porzingis, some of the intriguing things that we saw from players like Justin Holliday. Uh, Also talked a lot about Kevin Love, LeBron, Kyrie Irving, and uh, what their performance says about where the Cavs are going to go throughout the rest of this season. Also wanted to let you know that tomorrow's podcast will be a mailbag for lingering thoughts and questions uh, about anything you may or may not have noticed throughout the game that you don't hear me cover uh, in this podcast with Chris. So if you want to get a question in to me for that, feel free to reach out on Twitter, at LockedOnNicks, or at jadubin 5 you can also send an email to LockedOnNicks at gmail.com or to my personal email address, which you can find in the bio of Dubin 5 Send in some questions for that. It's going to be a, a, an interesting show, I think, because I think people will have a bunch of lingering questions because uh, Chris and I kind of touched on big issues that we saw, and if you're interested in smaller type stuff like, say, what we thought about Ron Baker's play late in the game or... Hornacex rotations and pace and any sort of issue other than the big stuff that happened in the game, feel free to send in a question. I'll try to tackle it in Thursday's podcast. Friday, I'm going to try to do a game preview again for Saturday's home opener against the Memphis Grizzlies, which should be an interesting game as well. The Grizzlies are playing their season opener tonight, Wednesday night. That should be an interesting game for them as well. They've got a couple guys hurt, Chandler Parsons, Uh, not playing yet, Brandon Wright not playing yet, and uh, one more guy that they have out as well. Uh, We'll see if those guys are back in action for the game against the Knicks on Saturday. Uh, Enjoy these next two or three nights of basketball until the Knicks play again. Uh, As I said on the podcast with Chris that you're about to get to, uh, this was not the Knicks' best game of the year. Hopefully it will be their worst game of the year. You know, you don't want to see them lose by more than 29 at some point. Uh, They will have better nights throughout the season. They'll do things well. They'll do things poorly. Uh, It's one game of 82, 81 more to go. 
Before I get you to the podcast, I do want to tell you about our sponsor for today, BetDSI. Do you love basketball? Are you ready to get into the action? Check out BetDSI.com. They have over 20 years in the business, and they are top-rated in customer safety. BetDSI.com has a great basketball special running right now. Sign up today and get $10 free to try their service. BetDSI.com is also offering a 100% bonus on your first deposit, so you get more for your money if you sign up right now. BetDSI.com has great customer service and fast and easy payment of winnings. There are hundreds of football and basketball wagers to choose from, and you can also get UFC or even Trump versus Clinton odds to bet on before the election. Not only that, but BetDSI.com has live in-game wagering on all football, basketball, and other major sporting events. So if you're watching your favorite team and they're down, but you still have faith that they'll win, you can wager on that and get in on the action too. You can play virtually everything at BetDSI.com. Go to BetDSI.com now. That's BetDSI.com. Go there now and use the promo code NYX10 to get your free wager and start winning today. That's BetDSI.com and use the promo code NYX10 and you will get a free wager and you can start winning today. And with that, we'll get you to the podcast with Chris Manning. Hope you enjoyed that and please send in some questions for tomorrow's mailbag podcast. You can do that at LockedOnNicks at jadubin 5 LockedOnNicks at gmail.com or to my personal email address, which you can find in the bio of jadubin 5 Enjoy, and hope you get ready for more basketball this weekend. Chris, how are you, my man? How's everything going? I'm doing good. Ready to recap the season over for both the teams. Yeah, well, slightly more enjoyable night for people in Cleveland than people in New York. Um, how was your night out there with everything going on with, with the Cavs and the, and the Indians? What was that experience like being down there? Uh, it was... It was nuts. I mean, I've been downtown for a couple of the things that have happened in Cleveland the past few months, and they've all been sort of crazy, but this this felt very different. Uh, even just talking to the, to some fans over there, there were people that were, you know, had Indians and Cavs gear on. There was one woman that I talked to that had uh, took a, I don't know what, this had to be so expensive, but she cut a Francisco Lindor jersey and a LeBron black sleeve jersey in half and sewed them together into one jersey. <laughs> Why would you ever get a LeBron sleeve jersey? Like, it's bad enough that the players have to wear them. Now you got fans wearing them, too. Yeah, they look like t-shirts, though, I guess. And I, I feel like that makes it. And then they have these nice championship patches on them that you can buy in the in the concourse. So, I don't know. Um, but it was nuts. I mean, you. I got right downtown. I don't know if you saw The Undertaker <laughs> was there. I did. That That's wild. That was wild. Um, as I'm walking around the arena, you know, Wiz Khalifa was there, like, just kind of rolling around. Um, when I, where I was sitting in the media row in the bottom for a little bit of halftime, Stephen A. Smith is just sitting there on his phone, like, not really watching the game, just kind of chilling. Uh, you saw CBI, CSI Cyberstar Bow Wow, who was, like, the tiniest human being I've ever seen in my life. Uh, Khloe Kardashian was, in fact, there. Uh, oh, there was a lot of just random celebrity sightings, which is crazy. But the ring ceremony itself and everything was, it was unbelievable. I mean, I... As someone who grew up in Cleveland, it was um, really kind of nuts to process that. The crowd reacted to the, the LeBron's block and Kyrie shot and Kevin Love stop almost like they, I imagine they did on Game 7, um, which is crazy. And after the game, which I think was the coolest thing the Cavs could have done because they instead of playing the game in halftime, they had Flo Rida perform. Uh, after the game, they let fans stay, and the Cleveland has a very huge jumbotron or kind of just a, with a bunch of screens on it in the middle of the court, above the middle of the court. And they let fans stay for a while and watch the Indians game. 
<laughs> That's pretty cool. It, yeah, it's a seamless transition into it. Um, just one of the crazy events in Cleveland. There's so many people, uh, and you and I mean Tyron Lue in his post game admitted that he was keeping an eye on the score during the game, and I think they are all very aware of what was going on. So that, I, it was just kind of a very cool night, and I think a lot of people already consider it maybe. I don't think it's the best night in Cleveland sports history, but it's definitely maybe top five, probably top three. Yeah, I would imagine that like the night they actually won was better. Like this is just like okay, you're commemorating it. Like the night they won, I would imagine obviously it was better. Like that's the memory. Like and you're already yes. memorializing it. You know what? Four months later, um, but I mean, we were we talked before the game about you know the possibility that the emotion would maybe throw them off their game a little bit. That did not happen. Um, other than the fact that they missed a bunch of threes they normally make in the first half, they pretty handily controlled the entire game against the Knicks. Like, the Knicks made a small run to come back in the second quarter, but once Cleveland started making their threes that the, that they were, I mean, pretty wide open most of the night, um, they, they pulled away again. Like, I thought it was a little bit strange that, you know, the Cavs opened up a double-digit lead early, and then once the Knicks pulled closer, I thought it was going to wind up being a close game because usually when you see a, te- a team go down and then come all the way back, usually it'll go like back and forth or something for the rest of the way. That did not happen. Um, Cleveland pretty early uh, in that third quarter started to pull away again. Yeah, uh, it was it was interesting because I mean, it only took LeBron, it was under two minutes when LeBron did the first thing of the season where I was like, oh my God, I can't believe he just did that when he hit J.R. Smith yep. with that pass for it the It was uh, 159 into the season, I wrote it yeah. down. <laughs> just incredibly, like a lot quicker than I expected. Uh, and the, the Cavs generally, I think, they did some things early that I didn't expect them to do, at least now. Um, they went right to the LeBron, Kyrie pick and roll at least a little bit. Yep. Um, which I didn't think they would do because that's a very playoff tweak. But they hunted down Rose. Um, and they, and I think they did some things. Well, not just Rose. They, they got Carmelo yeah. guarding Kyrie a few times, too, which, which is which a big is advantage. Yeah. yeah, it is. Uh, they went to love a little bit more. Uh, than I expected they would early, which was kind of a nice change from what we've seen the past couple of years. Yeah, um, and, Love was really good, too, in this yeah. game. Uh, he didn't shoot from the field that well, but he got to the line a bunch. He beat um, a bunch of closeouts. You know, we talked in the podcast before the game about how last year Chris Stapps struggled uh, guarding players like Love who could who were, you know, big guys that played on the perimeter, um, either giving up threes or giving up, you know, pump fake and drives and love hit him with that two or three times throughout the game too yeah i mean there was that time he took chris steps off the dribble and i was like oh wow that like worked out exactly how jared and i had kind of figured it might i mean he, yeah. and he did look really good and it was nuts because i when i was think, watching the game live uh because of what lebron was doing and because of how kyrie went on that crazy third quarter burst I kind of didn't realize exactly how well he was playing until I looked at the stats, and then I watched some of the game again this morning and kind of watched some of what he did, and it was he played really, like really, really well. Yeah. Um, and it was just like every, everyone except Amon Shumpert played really well last night for Cleveland. Yeah, and and Shumpert, I mean, part of that is because he didn't get a chance to rebound from the slow start because he ran into Kristaps' hip. Like, first of all, that shows you how tall Kristaps is. Like, Shumpert is what, like six six. And his head hit Kristaps' hip on a drive. Yeah. Um, obviously, Standing next to Kristaps was the, the biggest human I think I've ever stood next I, to. I told you, man. He's got to be bigger than 7'3". Yeah, has to. Like, 
It's he's so big. Um, he got a tip in early on, and then was only four of twelve on his actual shots the rest of the game. Three of five from three, and one of seven on his regular two point shots. Um, a lot of complaining from Knicks fans on Twitter during the game that he was not being found within the rhythm of the offense. Um, you know, they found him on back-to-back pick-and-pop jumpers, I think, in the second quarter, uh, possibly the third, if I'm... Uh, yeah, in the third quarter. Uh, and uh, other than that, he was kind of relatively uninvolved. That was a bit surprising to me. Or not so much surprising as disappointing. Yeah, I think if you're a Knicks fan, I think that was the one thing that surprised me the most was that you didn't see as much of him as you would have liked. Um, because... I mean, Carmelo was kind of was fairly aggressive. Uh, Rose did was trying to be aggressive at times. Although I didn't think he played particularly well, and, and it was sort of a night where I wanted to see more of Kristaps, but it just for whatever reason, I'm not I'm not really quite sure why it didn't work out that way. But you would think yeah. maybe it was just an opening night thing. I would say that uh, I'm not necessarily surprised about it because Rose and Carmelo are guys that already can create their own shots from themselves. You throw them the ball and they can go get a shot for themselves. And Kristaps is not necessarily a guy you're just going to throw him the ball and say, go get yourself a shot. He A lot of times he needs somebody to create the look for him. And because he played you know, a lot of his minutes with Rose and they haven't played together really at all yet, yeah, they true. very much did not have cohesion. And that was true of Rose with pretty much everybody on the court. When he was yeah. searching for his own offense, he was able to get to the rim. Uh, he didn't necessarily finish well there. I think it was only four of eight in the restricted area, and I believe he made his first two there. So, you know, throughout the rest of the game, he did not finish well really at all. Um, but the, the most noticeable thing to me was, you know, the turnovers when he would try to turn the corner and throw a pass to somebody. There was really no rhythm uh, in that way at all. He finished the game with only one assist. Um, anytime that he was looking for somebody else's offense it was not there and you could tell that they really hadn't played together at all and that's the thing about Rose is you know I think he's a good passer when he's looking for the pass like before he starts on his drive but once he puts his head down and starts driving to the basket he's going all the way to the basket he's not going to be a guy that's going to at the last minute find a lob or at the last minute dump it off to somebody near the basket Uh, if he's going he's going and he's going to try to score by himself and it seemed very much like the Cavs were okay with that. Yeah, I think, and I think too, it's worth noting that when you think of how the Knicks are built, or if you're building, let's say, down the road around Chris Dabbs, right now, when you have Rose and Carmelo on the floor at the same time with him, those are two guys by just the virtue of how they play basketball are going to just eat up possessions right. because of how they play. Their usage rates are going to be pretty high. They're going to they're going to shoot a lot. They're going to try to do a lot. Um, I mean, Rose 17 shots, Carmelo 18 shots, and they both played less minutes than Chris Stapps, who had 13 shots. And that's maybe just the nature of the beast. Maybe that's something to sort of watch him and see how that kind of that little micro transgression there, or not transgression, but trend, just how that plays out is maybe something kind of interesting. Yeah, and, and look, Carmelo early in the game was cooking. I think he started five of seven. Uh, I know him and Rose combined started ten of sixteen. And then they finished combined 15 of 35. So, you know, they were only 5 of 19 the rest of the way. And, like, if Carmelo didn't go on that hot stretch early in the game, the, the Cavs really might have blown the doors off 
right from the start because they were up 10 pretty early on. The Knicks started the second quarter with an all-bench lineup against a lineup with both LeBron and Kyrie, which I was very surprised by. Um, you know, they very quickly brought Chris Stapps back in when it looked like that may... Uh, I, th- I think they only got outscored with, by like two points in two minutes when uh, when they had that group out there. But if they had left it out there for much longer, the doors might have really gotten blown off. And, you know, they did, they did go on that run in the second quarter when they basically had the starters with Drew Hall- uh, sorry Justin Holiday in for Courtney Lee, who really didn't play well at all. That was disappointing. But other than that one stretch where they came back a little bit in the second quarter and cut the lead to three, um, it was pretty much the Cavs were getting whatever shot they wanted, whether it was through LeBron picking out shooters on the perimeter, and he even like admonished Justin Holiday for helping too far off J.R. Smith at yeah. one point. Uh, you, you saw that on the TNT broadcast. You know whether it was that or just Kyrie in isolation. You know, not even so much pick and roll, just isolation and breaking down his man off the dribble. Which again we talked about in the preview podcast. Like the Knicks had nobody at all that had any hope of keeping him from getting where he wanted to go. Um, you know, so so the Cavs again they got pretty much any shot they wanted, and the Knicks. I don't know if they necessarily struggled to find shots, but they certainly struggled to make shots. Yeah, I think the making shots uh, thing makes sense, makes more sense to me because I did think there were moments where they did get the type of looks you think you'd want against against a Cavs defense. Um, Courtney Lee had a few moments where he looked like he was going to have space. Uh, one time it was LeBron suckering him into going at the rim, but you know they had moments where they were getting their getting their spots. Carmelo in particular, it wasn't one of those games where I felt like Carmelo was taking a lot of just bad shots. I felt like he was taking shots relatively in the flow of the game, doing sort of Carmelo things where he normally is going to hit his spots. Maybe it's just an off night. Uh, Maybe it's a little bit of the Cavs just kind of, like, just the way they played, the Cavs were just clearly going to probably be superior. I mean, when LeBron is just kind of doing whatever he wants, and he doesn't even hit a three last night, and the Knicks were sagging off him, which I think was telling, but he has 19 points, 14 assists, 11 rebounds. I don't think he made a shot outside the paint. No, I don't think he did either. I think I think maybe he had like one at the elbow, but I'd have to check the shot chart. But just a very little downhill game for LeBron's six dunks, which is one short of his career high. Yeah, um, by the way. Uh, and that was a thing last year where people were saying like LeBron doesn't dunk anymore. Yeah, um, and he it was kind of interesting because he did just kind of make it a point to look be very athletic, and I don't mean that in the sense that he was just trying to show off, but the way he was playing was okay. I'm not gonna try to finesse this, I'm just going to be a hammer and I'm going to dunk, I'm going to attack the rim I'm going to make my presence felt on defense where I need to, and that was just kind of how he approached the game and then everything else sort of worked off that because when I looked at this game for Cleveland so many times in the past two years I have felt like they are trying to, it felt uncomfortable, it didn't feel organic and I'm feeling like they're forcing things in which should be a very simple offense yeah. And, you know, there was some talk of maybe Love didn't fit well because LeBron needs to play the four. I felt like last night, even with the two traditional-ish bigs, LeBron playing downhill as much as he did and then Love playing with the bench units, it made everything just feel so smooth in a way I don't know if I'd seen that before in the past years. It's one game. LeBron's not going to play with that effort every night. But that was, to me, something that really just, if I was going to take anything away from one game so early in the season, for me, that was it. Yeah, they looked very comfortable, I would say. Um Offensively, basically, whenever they wanted to pick out a shooter on the perimeter, that guy was open. Um, the, the Knicks very much struggled with their perimeter defense trying to track 
whether it was JR or Love or Kyrie or even Channing Frye, uh, when they went small with that unit with LeBron at the four and Frye at the five, uh, pretty much anybody they wanted to find was open at the time that they wanted to find him. And um, yeah. that's one of the ways that you know the Cavs' offense is on rhythm is when they're finding guys wide open from three. You know, they just didn't make them in the first half. I think they took 21 threes maybe in the first half, if, if that sounds right. Um, it's about right, yeah. And they just didn't make them, um, which is not something that's going to happen for a long time, and it was a sign that trouble was coming for the Knicks, and then it did. Yeah, if, I'll ask you this. Uh, one, of the, one of the things that I think maybe result, partially actually resulted in the Knicks ending up on the having no starters in against LeBron and Kyrie was that Kevin Love was the anchor for bench units yesterday. Did you like how that looked for the Cavs? Yeah, I think it's a good idea, and I think that I mentioned it during the game when Charles Barkley was talking at halftime about how the Knicks don't really have somebody that can score on the second unit and, and sort of carry that group. Um, Rick Carlisle has been doing that with Dirk Nowitzki for years, um, having him sort of come out of the game five, six minutes in and then anchor the second unit, which helps prop up the scoring of groups that don't necessarily have anybody that's going to carry the, the, the scoring load, and it allows him to work against backup big men. Um, I said that the Knicks, rather than taking Noah and maybe Kristaps out early on, should do that with Carmelo, because that would give them a guy to really carry the scoring of the second unit who doesn't need somebody to create his looks for him like Kristaps does. Like, Again, you're not going to throw the ball to Kristaps and say, go get me a shot. Uh, he's going to be dependent on Brandon Jennings to get him his looks, and that's something that can work occasionally but is not necessarily the most reliable thing in the world um you know the question is you know does carmel is carmelo going to be okay with coming out six minutes into first and third quarters not because he would think it's a diss or something but because players get in rhythms and he's been a guy who plays the entire first and third quarter for his entire career and probably like his entire life um the Cavs doing that to get back to your question the Cavs doing that with kevin love makes a lot of sense because when they're in that first group LeBron and Kyrie are obviously going to be the primary guys and loves a little bit of an afterthought even if he's the pro- even if he's the guy setting screens you know it's going to be those guys either attacking the basket or picking out a shooter on the perimeter so getting him with that second group allows him to be the focal point and I thought he did really good work there yeah and it, it, it's a general theme with him this season I think but he has just looked so comfortable uh, last night, he just looked so comfortable in those units. I have some concerns about it uh, because of the point guard situation. Uh, because I think if you're going to use Love as a way to wrestle LeBron, you need someone to really supplement him at the point guard spot. Right. And Shepard was like, not at all good when he played no. last night. Um, and Which yes, he got, he we got knew was coming, honestly. Yeah, like, like. I mean, Cavs Twitter, and I probably Nick's Twitter laughing because this used to be their problem. The moment he dribbled for the first time and he made a mistake, it was like, oh, Shump dribbled. Like, of course that happened. Right. It's just predictable with him. And, and so maybe that, that to me is actually going to take away something small. If you're looking at the, the nitpick of that, I think it maybe is, what do you do about the point guard spot? Because I think a week ago, when I kind of hadn't really considered that this would be something they would do early on, I wasn't too worried about the back of point guard spot. I think if you... If, I'm not confident in Shump being being able to play that spot. A K-Field is a rookie, and rookies struggle, especially when you're tiny like he is. Right. You may be, maybe that heightens like a need uh, for a backup there, but 
that's also something that's such a micro thing that you maybe don't need to decide after one game. Yeah, it's it's also like you could easily rectify it by say just staggering LeBron and Kyrie's minutes a little bit more. Yeah. Um, so that one of them is always on the floor. Um, you that's know, certainly that's, a playoff move. Right. Um, you know, maybe they wind up going after a veteran point guard at some point. I don't necessarily see it affecting them all that much in the near term. Um, no. What did you think, like, was, I know you had certain thoughts about the Knicks coming into the season. Was there anything that you saw about the Knicks it, that during that game that changed your mind? I mean, to me, it was like, they're not as good as the Cavs. We knew that. They're better at certain things. They are as good or worse at certain things. And, you know, getting blown out by Cleveland on ring night doesn't necessarily tell us anything new other than they're not as good at the Cavs, which isn't new anyway. Yeah, I think the one thing I I think about the Knicks after watching them in person is that I do kind of feel a little bit better about what they might be able to be. Um, I thought Noah, I know he wasn't perfect, and I... And he had his kind of some struggles, but he actually looked pretty solid last night. I thought watching yeah. him with Tristan. He moved well, which was encouraging to see. He also, in peak Noah form, I don't know if you saw this, uh, when the, the ring ceremony was starting, he didn't come off the court because he was finishing free throws, so as the lights were starting to go off, he's still shooting free throws. And you can see one of the ball boys being like, Joe Keep, you got to get off the floor. Yeah. And he was just kept shooting free throws, which is you know, peak Noah, if you know about his uh, very happy relationship with Cleveland. But I, I liked kind of generally what I saw. I, I wasn't, you know, I think any team that is going to play against a Cavs team that is playing as well as Cleveland did last night is probably going to struggle. There's only a few teams that are really going to be able to hang with them when they're playing at a high level, especially earlier in this season when everyone is figuring some things out. But I kind of liked just how they looked. They, they felt like I was watching a team that was more confident than I was watching them last year. Uh, I thought Melo looked pretty good. Noah moved well, like you said. Rose, yeah, and I think the Rose thing in particular – I think he's going to be someone we look at so close this year because of who he used to be, because of his contract, and because of just kind of who he, his perception of him right now. But maybe in a week or two, you look back, and maybe this is just a blip. Because if he can get used to playing with Chris Stapps, playing with Carmelo, um, and, can, and they can figure a way to make that work a little bit better, I'm, I'm pretty good with it. And I also kind of enjoyed watching Justin Holliday for the little bit he was in. He only made two of seven of his shots, but he looked like a pretty decent rotation player off the bench. Yeah, I thought Holiday was good, too. Um, with Rose, I think if people just divorce themselves from the idea that he's ever going to be old Derrick Rose and evaluate his play for what it is, then they'll be more satisfied. Um, anybody looking for him to be what he was before is just going to wind up being disappointed. Um, yeah, you're, you're asking to be... You're asking to... Put, you're basically putting unfair expectations on it like, right. at this point. It's also like... One thing we have to remember about this game was it was basically his first preseason game because he played one and then didn't play any of the rest and I think practiced once or twice before uh, getting back into the game, uh, like the first game of the regular season. That's not a recipe for looking all that good out there. And, you know, that was a large part of the reason I think that he didn't have really any continuity with anybody else on the court and the only time he looked good was when he was you know, going one-on-one with his man and attacking the basket. Um, that's the kind of thing that you would hope comes throughout the rest of the season in terms of being able to find guys on the pick-and-pop or pick out shooters on the weak side because he'll know where guys like to be and where they like the ball. Um, 
the, the, to me, the big thing is that people have to evaluate his play just on the merits of his play, and not you know compared to old Derrick Rose. Like just pretend it's a guy named like Derrick Jackson, and and evaluate him that way. Do you find that Knicks fans do perceive him as still as old Derrick Rose? Oh, a lot. I mean, there's they're divided basically into two different groups. There are people that think he's just done and is never gonna be anything again, and then there are people that think that he's going to be MVP Derrick Rose again. There's not many people that fall somewhere in between, which is, you know, what I think it is. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's pretty reasonable, because I still think, uh, like, the basketball Twitter that you and I sort of live in um, <laughs> has moved on from 2000-whatever MVP Derrick Rose. 2010-11. Yeah, like... We as a as a like a writing community, I guess, to put it in like a very weird way, we have moved on from that reality. But it seems like because of the name, because you once you win that award, you're tied to it. There's still probably that perception of him somewhere, and I, his the price tag of his contract probably doesn't help that either. Yeah, it's it's also, and we talked about this on the podcast too. Um, the finishing is the big thing because when he goes to the basket, he's always going to try to score himself, and that finishing has declined so much since the injuries because he just doesn't athletically have the same burst and ability to. And I talked about this on a podcast with Chris Herring. He's a contortionist at the rim, not somebody that you know absorbs contact and finishes through it. He will try to you know spin around or avoid the contact in some way and finish that way um, and that did not work well for him last night and that's something that honestly like we should expect to be the case throughout the season like he's not going to suddenly go back to finishing like 60% at the rim again it's been you know four years since he's been able to do that he was all the way down at 51% last year um, that's just the reality uh, of the kind of player that he is now and the sooner that people you know, accept that that's the case, the easier it'll be to to take the rest of his play for what it is and be satisfied with certain things and unsatisfied, I think, with others. Yeah, I think I think you're hitting it uh, like spot on when you when you mentioned it that way. Yeah, the, the the thing that was extremely unsurprising was that he struggled guarding Kyrie, which nobody can really guard him off the dribble like if you're trying to keep him from getting to his spot, like, good luck. It's that, that dude, I mean, there are guys that can get off whatever shot they want. There are not many guys that can also make all of those shots, and he is one of them. It's insane. Yeah. Like, the third quarter he had was just so fun to watch live, so fun to just kind of see him start getting going. Because when he gets going, he has that century. He's... Like Lillard in the center, then when one of them gets going, they both just know, okay, I am going to get to this spot, and I'm going to make my shot, and they just get there, and they just have this ability to get that shot off. Um, I mean, even last night, we talked about a little bit how it's hard to stay in front of him. Chris Stapp stayed in front of him at one point and got him trapped in the corner and did a, like, a really great job of pitting him in the, in, the, in the corner, and Kyrie just got that three off somehow and made it, and I really have no idea how he made that shot. Yeah, the Chris Stapp's um, held his own okay I think he switched on to LeBron twice, and they got one basket out of it. Like, LeBron is so good, that's going to happen. Um, the couple times he got switched on to Kyrie, um, the, so there were two times Kyrie, like, blew right by him, 
And that one time you described, he stayed with them, and Kyrie was just like, okay, that's fine, I'm just going to make it anyway. Yeah. I mean, he, and he, when you catch Kyrie at those moments where he is just going off, like, it's just so hard to make it through. And I, and I imagine um, if you're Rose or if you're anyone defending him, it's got to be so demoralizing, too. Especially if you, you know, you pushed all the way back in the first half a little bit. And Kyrie did, you know, was okay in the first half. And then when you just have a guy just keep getting buckets on top of buckets, that has got to be demoralizing if you're a team that's trying to compete and start off your season in a really good way. I mean, the Knicks, they're only down, I think, three going into the half. And then yep. the Cavs outscored them by 15 in the third quarter, 11 in the fourth. And, and then we get the score that we have. And it was very, very close a little bit in the first half. Yeah, I mean, the, the Cavs, again, they opened up that lead. And, you know, it, it got, I think, to 12 at one point in the second quarter. The Knicks wound up cutting it to three by halftime. Um, it was sort of strange that they were able to do that, um, you know, given the way the first quarter went. Um, the Cavs, again, they, they missed a bunch of shots that they would normally make. And the Knicks, to their credit, they went on a, a really nice run in the middle of the second quarter. Um, Justin Holiday had back-to-back threes off passes from Carmelo which was what really sort of uh, cut the lead down from close to double digits to, I think, four. Um, yeah. And then it sort of stayed around that for the rest of the half. Yeah. 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 What did you think of uh, Tristan Thompson? He's a guy who I thought he would be able to have a good game against the Knicks, and I don't think he showed up in my notes for the game once. No, he didn't for me either. Um, you know, I mentioned Shump as the guy that really stood out as not playing well for Cleveland. And I'm not going to say Tristan played bad, but he didn't really necessarily play good. Um, I don't know if it was yeah. Noah. I don't know if it was Porzingis. I don't know if he's just a little bit out of sorts for some reason. But, I mean, his t- 22 minutes last night did make a did make a field goal. He's, I believe he was actually the only cap who didn't score. Uh, only six rebounds. I mean, Love had, Love had 12, LeBron had 11. So there wasn't like he caused him to have this issue on the boards. But he just wasn't the same effective type of Tristan Thompson that I think we've seen. He usually, and he usually does pretty well against Noah. Uh, yeah, I Noah, think some of it, it may have had to do stuff. with, um, you know, a lot of his strength as a defender is pick-and-roll defense. You know, the Knicks mm-hmm. ran a bunch of it, but a lot of that was just Rose or Jennings looking for their own shot. And yeah. Tristan's ability to sort of corral and force guys into, you know, awkward passing and stuff like that doesn't show up as much when guys are just coming around a screen and going right to the basket. Uh, he's sort of just yeah. staying with them and making the shot a little bit harder. So it, w- it was difficult, I think, to notice what he did uh, in box score or in, like, wow, look at that great defense right there because he was sort of just riding these guys around the picks into the basket and letting them try to finish oversize. Yeah, and that's something, I think, to watch with his Cavs defense because they, as it stands right now, you look at the roster, there's not a like a traditional rim protector on this team um, you know you have Thompson you have Love up front so you're not really going to get any shot blockers there Channing Fry is a solid team defender but he's never going to swat shots and then you have Birdman Anderson you're, you know, maybe your most traditional old school type of center but he's not a shot blocker either he's just right. kind of a very smart team defender and he's older so yeah. LeBron maybe, is the best rim protector it's sort of constructed similarly to those Miami teams where you know, you have guys that move around really well, but not necessarily anyone that's going to shut you down at the rim. Right. Um, and, I, and I don't think it's a glaring weakness for the Cavs, but maybe, that, maybe the Knicks are hinting at something that teams 
will attack. Uh, when you, if LeBron, especially if it's never LeBron's off, or if LeBron's off the floor, or whatever, whatever you the scenario is, if let's say it's Kyrie Irving and your point guard, let's say you're the Pistons and you have Reggie Jackson when he's healthy and you have Andre Drummond and let's say it's Kyrie and, and Thompson in that matchup, that, that's a way you attack the spine of that defense. Uh, you have a guy who's a very good finisher in Drummond. Jackson, I'm not super high, but he's a decent point guard. That Maybe that's a recipe for success against a defense that is generally going to be pretty solid. Yeah, I would think that their defense is going to be good, and, and I thought they did a good job for the most part of tracking the shooters on the perimeter. And it's, it's difficult to tell because there wasn't necessarily that whip-around passing that you would like to see to test that. But I, I, didn't, I don't think they really lost anybody that much with the exception of you know the back-to-back Kristaps threes uh, in the third quarter. And then there was a really nice set that the Knicks ran to get Kristaps a three uh, in the second quarter as well with Carmelo screening for him. And, uh, and then Chris Depp sort of popping out in, like, a bunch screening action, which was nice. Those were the only times, really, and, you know, Courtney Lee was left alone once also, I think, that, uh, that the Cavs really lost track of anybody on the perimeter. Yeah, I'll, I'll ask you this as we kind of get towards in here. When you look at how the, Cavs, how the Knicks defended LeBron, obviously they were going to have some issues that we had talked about when we previewed this game, but he, he took three threes, but he, he never seemed to have a guy looking straight at him or straight on him when he was on the perimeter if he was not didn't have the ball in his hand. Do you, do you think that was an intentional defensive decision by by the Knicks? Yeah, I think it's a, a factor of they don't really have, um, you know, Lance Thomas accepted, and Lance Thomas, I think, also was a guy who had a rough game. Um, they don't have a perimeter defender with size that's really going to test LeBron. Um, you know, Carmelo can physically hang with him a little bit, but doesn't have the foot speed or necessarily the the tactical defensive awareness to cause problems for LeBron in a way that somebody who's not quite as big, even like Andre Iguodala, can do. Um, you know, Courtney Lee spent some time on LeBron. At one point, I think in the third quarter, they used Derrick Rose on LeBron, and LeBron just sort of backed his ass right down and, and got a free yeah. little layup in the middle of the paint. Um, so that that's that to me is not necessarily a tactical decision, but a factor of you know them not really having anyone that's equipped to guard him in any way whatsoever. Yeah, right with you on that. Yeah, it's uh, look, it's a problem that I'd say probably like twenty six or twenty seven teams have. Yeah, it's it's not something that's that's unique to that situation. I mean, I, there are very few teams that I think are equipped to do that type of play, that type of defense, because you just need these sort of unicorn personnel types. Um, and right. those guys are hard to find. They're, they're really even harder to develop. Exactly. Um, so, look, I mean, it was a very encouraging night for the Cavs, and it was a not-so-encouraging night for the Knicks. You know, the, the Cavs will have their struggles at some point this year, probably. Um, the Knicks will have their good times at some point this year, probably. Um, you know, we'll see. But it's very similar to a lot of other games. It's one game. The The Cavs, I don't, I don't want to say they're not as good as they looked because they might be, but they're not going to play that well every night. Um, the Knicks are not as bad as they look. They're not going to play that poorly every night. Um, you know, 81 more of these to go, and we'll see what happens. Yeah. 
It'll be, I mean, I expect the Cavs maybe like Saturday when they play the Magic just to to, to have their first. That's the that's the real test. It's their first back to back. It's the first back to back where they've had to still have to travel from a game the previous night and then play at home the next day. That's that's the test of I think the first test of how they're gonna approach those type of games. So Saturday maybe is that first game where they're just kind of gonna take it off. Yeah, I mean, at least it's not uh, in Orlando, so they're not hitting up that Orlando nightlife before the game. Although, you know, the, the Cleveland nightlife's getting pretty crazy right now. They might go to an Indians game and get drunk again. Yeah, I mean, they, they reasonably could. I, I, I hope they're there. To, I don't know if they were uh, at the stadium and for game two, but uh, they, 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 they might as well, you know? I mean, and especially because there's a couple weeks, like Jay-Z's going to be in Cleveland. LeBron, they have to travel that, that night, but LeBron is totally going to that concert. Like, they're just going to enjoy themselves until, like, March. And, look, they should. They should enjoy themselves throughout the year. Uh, they're going to do a, lo- a whole lot of winning, and it's going to be fun for all the people in Cleveland. Um, I'm sure we'll talk again at some point throughout the season. So, uh, Chris, I'll talk to you soon. Enjoy the rest of the Cavs games this week and uh, anything else that you might watch. Yeah, thanks, Jared. You, uh, you too. I don't know if you have a rooting interest in the World Series or if you're going to get to watch some non-Knicks basketball, but... Hope you can find something that'll pique your interest. Yeah, I'm certainly going to watch some non-Knicks basketball in these next few nights. Obviously, I do cover um, the whole league. Uh, World Series-wise, I just think the Cubs are really cool. Um, but I also I love Francisco Lindor because uh, I traded for him early in my fantasy baseball season this year, and he helped me win the championship. But then again, so did Chris Bryant, so I got split loyalties there. Uh-huh. Lindor wears a custom Space Jam jersey before a lot of the games, though, so I think that's that's a good tiebreaker. Yeah, that, that, that's pretty awesome. Um, uh, I'll definitely be on the lookout for that, and uh, we'll talk again soon. Thanks, Jay.